Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them, would you, to two places, Matthew chapter 6 and Philippians chapter 3. And I've I've entitled our study today, One Thing, One Thing. I believe God is calling us back to that place of one thing, simplicity. The world has become far more complex, especially in just the last couple years. Perhaps even in your own life, things have become far more complex and you have been tempted and perhaps have even left the simplicity of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know a lot of people don't like the word simple. They don't like to approach things simply because you equate simplicity with immaturity. But simplicity is not immaturity. Simplicity is the place where you are focused on one thing, one thing at a time, those things that are most important to you. So you have today both an emphasis on the right priorities, but also the right decisions. Because when you say yes to one thing, you must also say no to many other things. And we have have so many things in our life right now, God wants to reduce many things to one thing as you enter into this new year. Even though a new year is just another day, we, we change calendars and we change years, the way we measure time definitely is affected, but it is just another day. Even as we were reading in our psalm today, asking God to teach us to number our days, to understand the value of today, to remember that today is the day of salvation, right now in front of us. And God is calling us to simplicity in the book of Acts. Let me read it to you quickly here. In chapter two, we learned of one of the strengths in the early church. We've been studying, as we will for many months now, perhaps years, the simplicity and power of the early church. And you remember in verse 46 of chapter 2, it says, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So vital that we approach God gladly with simplicity of heart, praising God which leads to having favor with the people and God adds to the church those who are being saved. Simplicity. God wants to take the complexity of your life and bring back simplicity. You know, the phrase one thing, if you look it up, you go into a Bible search program and you just put one thing in parentheses, you'll find it's used a few times in the English translation. The first one is Psalm 27, verse four. Psalm 27, verse four. Listen, it says, one thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek. Doesn't that sound like a sweet way to live your life? Just one thing. This is how I'm going to live my life. One thing I've desired. And for the psalmist is that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of his temple. Another use is in Luke chapter 10 verse 42. Jesus was there with Mary and Martha. And what does he say? But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part and it won't be taken away from her. Again, in Luke chapter 18, verse 22, as Jesus is speaking to the rich young ruler, listen to what he says. You still lack one 
thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. It's like, this is the thing that's holding you back. I mean, when you think of one thing, I want you to think of it as the one thing God is moving me that, that will move me forward. And perhaps for you, as you pray this year, and I'm asking you to pray, I'm asking you, some of you don't even know what the one thing is. You don't even know why God's put you on the planet or how he's gifted you, what his plan and purpose is for your life, far greater than anything you've ever experienced. I want you to begin to ask God, what's the one thing? You don't even have to be clear. He knows exactly what your desire is. You don't even have to use the right words. You're just like, man, what's the one thing, Lord? What, what is it that you're wanting to work in my life? What's the one thing you want to add? What's the one thing you want me to forsake? What is it, Lord? What do you have for me in these last days? I think of the one that was born again. Maybe the one thing for you today is that you're born again. And the one that was, that was healed of his blindness, when they came to question him, this is what he says in, Luke, or in John 9, 25. He answered and said, speaking of Jesus, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And it reminded me, as I was thinking through one thing of the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, what holds us back from choosing the right priorities often is worry and fear. And we're so concerned and worried about tomorrow that we lose today. Or as Corey ten Boom said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It only empties today of its strength. And Jesus sees that in our lives, even in the first century. And he gives us such simple instruction. Just so simple. Listen to what he says. Pick up with me in verse 24. Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So here he says, you've got two choices, but you can't have them both. You've got to choose one. You, you can't serve two. And in this case, it's money and God. You can't, you can't serve money and you can't serve God at the same time. You've got to choose. You, you've got to make the right choice. Choose God, as we'll see by the end of this chapter. But you can't do both. And perhaps that's even a word from God for you right now as you enter into a new year. You can't do both. You can't serve both. Have the right priorities. But then he goes on to say in verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, or what you'll eat, or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you're going to put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spend. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore don't worry, saying, what shall, I eat? what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Isn't that the truth? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is something God just brought alive into my life, especially in the last few years, where so many people have been, what about this, Ed? And what if this, Ed? And all these hypotheticals, hypotheticals. And, and the Lord just gave me this burst of wisdom from his word. It's like, I don't deal in hypotheticals. I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, whatever happens in the future, God will give us the grace that we need when it happens. But it probably won't happen that way. It probably won't be the worst case scenario. It probably won't. But if, while we worry about tomorrow, we're losing today. And I've just been so confident knowing that I'm just going to deal with the facts and what's before me. I don't know what the future holds, but I trust the Lord. And I want to grow in my faith. He knows my future. And having experienced great tragedy in my own life, I know God showed up right when I needed it. He didn't prepare me for it. He was there when it happened. He didn't like fill it, fill it, fill it, fill it, fill it, and then boom, it happens. Just when it happened, the Lord was there giving strength and wisdom and help along the way, ministering to my heart. Six times at least, Jesus talks about worry. You can circle one of them in, these, in this section because all these same, he uses the same word. They all mean to choke out or to strangle. And haven't you found worry to do that? Just choking out life and hope and strength and just, just taking the life right out of you. So concerned about things that haven't even happened yet and may never happen. But in this particular, he, he has these two seeking. If you noticed at the end, as you were listening, there was, con, just like there was conflict, you can't serve God and mammon. And, and God, by the time he's done, he also says, you can't seek two kingdoms. You can't have it both ways. It can't be your way and God's way. And it can't be God's way and your way. You've got to choose. You're either going to do what the Gentiles do and seek after all the things of this world, or you're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And let God take care of those things for you. And if you choose, and if you're, you're, you're between two kingdoms, and you're unable to choose, then that's where worry comes in. Where concern comes in. Where, where the very spiritual life is strangled out of you as you worry about what you're going to eat, or what you're going to wear, or you know, who's going to take care of me, and what's going to happen. And you become distracted and blinded to the faithfulness of God. There's a great strength, church, in faith that trusts God with the outcome of the situations in our lives. Where I don't know how things are going to end. I'm not certain. I hope in one direction or another, but I trust God with the way he wants to use my life. I trust God with the way the situations and the difficulties and the challenges that he's allowed to come into my life. I, I don't always trust him, but I want to always trust him. But today I happen to be in a place of great trust in the situations in my life. And one way that helps me is to be in the same room with other believers <laughs> and just reminded of the kingdom of God. Not caught up in my own mind and caught up in my own thinking, but trusting the Lord and choosing to seek him first. And these are the things we worry about the most, our life, what we're going to eat, where we're going to go, what kind of clothes are we going to wear? What, isn't life more than all these things, Jesus says? And the answer is yes, yes. And in case you doubt the faithfulness of God, he says, check the birds out. You know the birds, the birds that think they own your house. I've got birds that think own my house. And for some reason, they're gone now because the winter, of course, they're smart. They're out of here. But they'll be back. And they'll be back with a vengeance. 
They will, I don't know how, if they write down my address, I don't understand what it is, but they'll be back. And, and you know what, what, what has left, and I'm waiting to come back, are those stinking geese, I think they are, that leave all their dew all over my yard. Do you guys have that problem? Yes? No. Because they're all coming to my house. But as I watch them, they don't have a care or concern. They don't care about me. They don't care about where their next meal's coming from. They just live their life. It's how God, they live the way that God created them. And then when the winter leaves and, and we have springtime back again and things start to blossom and the beautiful flowers come and Home Depot and Lowe's have all those plants out there to replant. You look at all the flowers and you go, so beautiful, the creation of God. And Jesus says, man, if God takes care of the plants like that and takes care of, of your backyard and has everything growing, don't you think you're more valuable than grass and flowers? See, worry takes one thing and creates many things. And then many things causes us to worry more. And then we're conflicted between two kingdoms. You see, Jesus said that there is a kingdom now and then a fulfillment of the kingdom to come. The, the, the real question is, is where do you live? Are you and I, do we, do we live the way we were created? Do we live to bring pleasure to God? Do we live like the birds? You know, you see the birds, they just keep coming back. We don't know where they come from, where they go. But we know this, they're well taken care of. And we watch the seasons come in and we see the plants and we see things survive. And you're just like, man, they're so beautiful and so wonderful. And then Jesus says, yeah, they are. But don't you think you're more valuable than they are? Don't you think you're more important than birds? As much as, as animals are and how precious they are, you are more important than animals. And as beautiful as flowers and trees and the Rocky Mountains might be, you're more, you're more valuable than plants and mountains and flowers. And so he says, are you going to live, am I going to live like the Gentiles, seeking after everything, you know, all these things consuming my life? Or are you going to follow what Jesus said in verse 33, to seek first? That's both priority and one thing in the same verse. Choosing the right thing with the right priority. Which reminds me of Paul in Philippians chapter 3. He actually uses the phrase, one thing. It's another use in the New Testament of that phrase, one thing. So go with me to Philippians chapter 3. And for our time today, I don't want to develop it, but I do want to mention it in this section. Pick up when you get there in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. Paul the Apostle writing to the church in the city of Philippi, he says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, that's how he does the one thing. Here's the one thing. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is an encouraging part of the Bible because by now, Paul has been walking with the Lord for 30 years. And you would think, and I know it is common that 
we have this sense of, hey, if I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years, then, then I should be more mature. Uh, things should be a little more complex for me. Uh, I shouldn't just be dealing with the ABCs. And, you know, some of you have been walking with the Lord for all these years, and you've never gone to Discipleship 101 because automatically you think, well, you know, I did that already. Yeah, but would the Lord have you do it again, even after 30 years? Would the Lord have you just revisit the basics of why you're saved and who Jesus is and what God wants to do in your life? Would God have you revisit the things that, yeah, you've been walking with the Lord for 30 years and you're still at a place of simplicity? That's where Paul is here. 30 years. This guy is a genius, a genius. You, you probably take the collective wisdom in this room from all of us, and Paul was one notch ahead of just how God made him. Uh, his training, his knowledge, memorization of the Bible, all how, how he was refined through trials. I mean, it's been 30 years of trials and difficulties. It's been 30 years of betrayal and, and people turning on him and coming against him and wanting to kill him and 30 years of perhaps doubting and second guessing. And here he comes to his life and he finally says look look here's where I'm at I, I, it's not like I've arrived he says it's not like I've already attained it's not like I'm perfect I, I haven't arrived I'm not where I need to be but I'll tell you what I'm going to keep on going and I've just reduced my life down after 30 years to one thing that's where he is at this section here this, I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years I've experienced all these things but I'm going to tell you one thing this is it this is the one thing I press on. This is what I do. He uses the illustration of an athlete. I press on. I'm, I'm going to finish the race. That's what I've chosen to do. No matter what comes my way, I'm pressing on. I'm moving on. I'm taking the next step. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to turn my back on Jesus. He's been so faithful to me. I am pressing on. I will move forward. Then he uses two illustrations on how to do that. He actually uses them first. He says back in verse uh, 13, he says, this one thing I do, the first thing he chooses to, to do while he's doing the one thing is forgetting those things that are behind. As we enter into a new year, some of you need to choose to forget the things that are behind you. There's two types of things that, that we need to choose to forget. First of all, the good things. We can't rest on all the good things that have happened in the past. Because if we dwell too much on the past, all the good things, then we'll start getting all prideful and glorying in things that happened years ago. You know, you think about your testimony today and you go, well, you know, remember back, back in 1975? No, bro, I don't actually remember 1975, but I have a feeling you're about ready to tell me. And then you just kind of been living on that one thing and that one thing and you're glorying in it all these other years. What happened? What about today? What's God doing today? Yeah, but you don't understand what God used to do. No, I'm glad what God used to do, but what is he doing now? So you don't want to glory in all the good things. And then secondly, you definitely don't want to look back on all the bad things. You want to choose to forget. The idea is continually choosing to forget. Where you're not going to allow the past to haunt you or to condemn you or to fill your heart and mind with regrets and could-ofs and would-ofs and should-ofs. We need to choose to let the past be the past. Even as a church, as we celebrate our birthday, 22 years uh, as a church family here in Aurora, 22 years, but today is the day. What's God wanna do today? We're not looking back to build on what God did 15 years ago, seven years ago, three years ago. What is God doing now? Oh, we're still building on the same foundation, the foundation of Christ, 
the message never change, the message never changes, right? The Bible doesn't change. We're gonna, we're still, we still have those pieces of who we are, but what does God want to do? It's not what God did, it's what God wants to do. Well, what is he doing now? What new people does he want to reach? I'm sure you're praying for people that aren't saved yet. That's why we look forward. That's why we press on. Still looking for situations, prodigals to come home. That's why we press on. Still looking for open doors and looking for opportunities. That's why we press on. We don't dwell in the past. We live for the future. We love the past. It's made us who we are. I mean, some parts of our past we don't like at all, but it's made us who we are. God's used them. All things work together for the good. I think even in this last week as a church, you know, that we had the week off, but it, it, we had so much tragedy happen in our church. It was unbelievable. It's, it's just so painful. And then I look back to the last year. I look back to the last couple years. There's so much tragedy, so much pain, so much hardship. And we can't dwell on it. We have to look up and look forward, seeking God first and his kingdom, forgetting. This is where driving to church will really help you as an illustration. Because as you were coming to church today in your car, in your minivan, in your SUV, uh, on the bus perhaps, you know, you, you saw a very important contrast, even though you probably didn't notice it. And that was, there's a significant difference between your windshield, which is about this big, and your rear view mirror, which is about this big. And I'm hoping that you drove in such a way where you spent most of your time looking through the windshield and occasionally looking in the rear view mirror, because that's the right way to drive. Uh, and don't be, well, you know, Ed, we've been having transmission problems, so I actually drove in reverse all the way to church. You would be the, you would be the exception. The, there's always exceptions, believe me, always exceptions. But, but most of us, when we drive, we're, we're, we're looking out the front, we're looking forward, especially last night, it was super cold, super icy, so we're all driving slow, looking out, and occasionally looking at the mirrors glancing up because you do need to know you need to remember where you came from you need to know your surroundings you need to understand the full picture of what God's doing in the world today what he desires yes you want to see that but it's only briefly you don't dwell on the past you don't stare in there you you will you like, like your car your life will crash really hard if you stare in the rear view mirror while you're driving it won't end well it won't end well. Forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward. We have a, an axiom here, a sta statement that, we, that guide us, guides us as a church, and it's very simple. We have many, but one of them is this. We love the past, but we live the future. We love the past. We love all the 22 years I've been here. I mean, it hasn't always been fun, been really hard at times, been challenging, kind of like Paul. A lot of betrayal, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. Pastors, people, we all go through pain. Yes, it's been, but most of it's been so good, but it's in the past. We love it. Most of you weren't even here for it. Uh, you have a new story, what God's doing in your life. And so we reach forward. And that is the one thing for our church. We know that. We know that for at least the foreseeable future could be till the Lord comes back. But we know right now what God is teaching us through the book of Acts. Here's our one thing as a church. Be the church. That's the one thing. Be the church. Don't have people call the church. Just be the church. Don't, don't, don't point people to the church. You are the church. And yeah, invite them to gatherings and we can help. Don't, don't misunderstand me. What God is teaching you is that you're the church. You are the church. And what an impact we make in our community when we scatter from this building. 
into everywhere around the around all over town. All all over north, south, east, west. Even some of you are visiting right now from out of state. You go back home. Visiting from out of country, you go back home. And that God is taking his church, moving him wherever he wants to move us, wherever he wants to use us. But this one thing, I want you to pray this year about what your one thing is. That your many things will be reduced to one thing. Perhaps it's exactly what Paul says. You just need to choose not to quit this year. Press on, no quitting. God will give you the strength day by day, moment by moment. I know we want a year's worth of strength. Kind of like we want strength and faith like when we go to Costco. Just give me in the big size. So then I can have one today and I'll put the rest in the freezer. No, God will give you strength for today. Hope for tomorrow. He'll, he'll give you faith for today. He'll give you encouragement for today. He'll give you wisdom for today. All of it is now. You got to forget the things that are behind. We're not going to rest on all the great things that happen in our lives. And we're not going to be condemned by all the bad things that are in our lives. We're going to reach forward. We don't want to be downcast and discouraged and living under regrets. We want a fresh start. That's, what, that's the neat thing about New Year's. It always reminds us, it's symbolic. It's a fresh start. Fresh start. You got a chance. Fresh start. Uh, all, all things can become new in a very practical way as you start out a new year. Don't make, a, don't make any resolutions or any promises. Just abide in Christ and let him lead you. Fresh and new. You know, because you start making a promise and like, oh man, a resolution. Now it's all kind of a burden. Don't put all any burdens on your life. Just enjoy the Lord. He'll lead you and guide you give you the strength to obey him. As you abide in him, he abides in you. And I just love this. After 30 years of walking with the Lord, which I've been walking with the Lord a little over 30 years myself, this one thing I do, just narrowing down my life, narrowing down what God is wanting. He uses, again, the illustration of an athlete, right? And any world-class athlete I mean, if you study a world-class, whether they're a football player playing for the Broncos, baseball player playing for the Rockies, uh, an Olympic, world-class Olympic athlete, one thing you'll see that they all share, no matter the sport, they specialize. They don't try to do everything. They try to do one thing exceptionally well. And when you specialize, you say yes to one thing, and you have to say no to many things. It's your choice. You can't, you can't be super good at a lot of things. And in order to run their race and even to compete for the prize, because that's what Paul says. He says, I'm, I'm looking for the prize. Now, of course, we know that in the Bible, it speaks of crowns that will be offered, things that will be rewarded, that Paul's even saying, that can be a motive for you, for the rewards. We know what's going to happen with the rewards. They're going to mean nothing in the presence of Jesus. We're going to cast all our crowns before him. All of our rewards. Man, this was great. It was fun. It was awesome. I was going after the prize, Lord. I was living my life for you. But now that I'm in your presence, you are the deserving of all these things. It is your work in me. Now I see it. Now I see everything clearly, which I didn't see before. One thing, church. One thing. Forget, reach toward that upward call of God. Ask God this year, would you? Ask God this year. As the worship team comes back and we end in this time of worship, I want to encourage you, know that it requires a choice. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then these things will be added. This one thing I do, I press toward 
the goal. The idea of press, by the way, is, has the idea of a hunter going after his prey. It, it has the idea of not giving up and staying on track, pressing on, pressing on. No matter what comes, you're pressing on, pressing on. It's how you got here today, by the grace of God, pressing on. Looking through the window, the, the windshield, that's what it's there for. Gives you the broad perspective going forward. And occasionally looking up at that rear view mirror knowing, okay, I see my surroundings. I understand where I'm at. I'm in a safe place, trusting the Lord. So Father, we want your Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts today. Um, just offering to you this time where you'll be glorified and be encouraged through our lives. And we prepare our hearts in singing to you. Even if we don't have a heart to sing, Lord, let us enjoy it. Just sitting back, enjoying the room, filled with your praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.